What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Today, we're recording from West Conference, a full-day conference looking at wearable technology for entertainment and sports. And my guest today on the show is Billy Whitehouse. So Billy is a garment engineer, and she's the co-founder and creative director of Wearable Experiments. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So, Billy, I know you're here at West to speak about some of your wearable technology designs for sports, but I wanted to talk to you about some of your more fashion-focused pieces. But before we dive in, I'd like to know, what does fashion tech mean to you? I feel like there's different definitions uh, depending on who you ask. I am. Um, I like to think of fashion and tech as this like very broad, broad thing. Technology really is everything from a zipper to a button to something that goes into the construction of a garment, mm-hmm. and we've now labelled it as this like high tech electronics world. But actually, I think fashion and tech is far more integrated in our lives than we really, really believe. Um, so it's just ready to wear to me. <laughs> it's everything you put on your body from the beginning to the end of the day, um, and it's the technologies that go into creating it and making it a seamless experience. And so what is Wearable Experiments? So Wearable Experiments is a company focused on designing and integrating electronics, hardware, software and apparel into your life in this really seamless and meaningful way. So not necessarily building tech for the sake of tech. If we have to remove elements, we do. Mm -hmm. We want this to be seamless, simple and elegant. And it started with uh, the Fundawear project. Precisely. Is, is that right? So tell, t- for folks who don't know what that is. Uh, so Funderware was our first ever project and amazing that we were given this campaign. And it was a campaign to build uh, vibrating underwear for couples in long distance relationships. I could use that. I could relate. <laughs> so it's his and her underwear that is controlled via an app um, and you can control him or her from anywhere in the world. And so, uh, so walk me through it. So I put on the underwear, my boyfriend puts on the underwear uh, somewhere else in the world you and then it interfaces with your smartphone and you touch it and the touch turns into, uh, is it haptics then? Exactly, it's haptic wow. feedback. So the, the literally the instant you're touching the, the application and there's a position on the body in which you're touching, the vibration on the body then occurs on mm-hmm. the receiver. That's uh, incredible to me. And it's not the only project that you're doing that works with haptics. Your uh, Navigate jackets, which we were talking about earlier, are also, and you're wearing one right now. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. And you know what? It didn't even announce itself to me as hardware or tech. It just looks like a regular jacket, a very well-made regular jacket. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is going to help you navigate a city, if I have that correct. They're location-specific. Precisely jackets that using haptic feedback can tell you whether to turn left or to turn right. Exactly. This was, mm-hmm. the idea for us was about keeping you connected with the places and the people that you love. Mm-hmm. So if you are walking around a new city and you've never been there before, there's nothing worse than spending that entire day or three days staring down at a map. Or your um, phone. Exactly. Yeah. So, th- I mean, you see that constantly in cities day to day, that people fall off sidewalks, they nearly get hit by taxis. Yeah. This is very much the future of where you can upload from your smartphone where you'd like to travel to and then put your phone back in your handbag or in your pocket and walk around the, the streets unimpeded by your phone. That's fantastic. And so it seems to me that with haptics and with sensors, 
We're moving away from wearables that are focused on quantifying the body. Uh, so how many steps you mm -hmm. took today and you know calories burned and things that aren't really useful for someone like me, for example. But we're moving in towards this more you know, communicative and social fashion tech and, you know, whether it's communicating with one another, um, like your uh, Fundaware project, which is looking at the couples in a long distance relationship or helping you navigate a city, communicating with yourself or communicating, interacting, maybe is a better word, with the space around you. Precisely. I think this the notion of quantified self is really for a specific demographic. It wasn't for mass market. Um, so what I'm trying to achieve is bridge the gap between, okay, now we've understood, we've got the senses, how do we then feed that information back onto the body or back to the human in a really seamless but not in your face way. Mm -hmm. um, so it, the skin is the largest organ on our body as you know um, and it's this underutilized communication system. So like knowing and understanding what a touch sensation does on the body in a, in a particular area, mm -hmm. you can really use it as like a way to play songs like on the body whether it's a song of direction, a song of emotion, a song of um, intimacy. It's mm -hmm. it, For me, it's really about having that messaging service built into the body. And that's a really beautiful way of putting it. I've never heard anyone articulate it that way, is that it's a song on the body. Uh, and it's not, it seems, it's, it's augmenting our current way of communicating. Right now we're communicating with gestures, with signals, with facial expressions, but this is an entirely new way of communicating um, yeah. that it, that's being layered on. So that's quite fascinating. There was a really interesting justification for us when Apple launched their watch, um, mostly because they they claimed intimacy, they used haptics for the mm. first time, and so many of the things that have become really important to us and the way we present and the way that our brand is now framed has a lot of these similar things in, in tow, which, I mean, really validating to me because now two million more users know how to communicate with haptic feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and so I... I I love the fact that these wearables and the whole industry is now evolving. You love that uh, the haptics are now going mainstream. Yeah. That's really neat. So you're here today to talk about sports. Um, so, for example, something you've done on the sports side of things is a collaboration with Oakley and a snowboarder named Scotty James based out of Melbourne. And uh, this is where you actually rigged his snowboarding outfit to give him more airtime on jumps. Do I have that right? Yes. So we, um, we had a month to build a prototype. And it was the most wild experience ever. And it was for the 20 years of Oakley in Australia. So instead of looking back at like the history of Oakley, they decided to look forward at like, what's coming next in mm -hmm. the future of sport. Um, so with that, we collaborated with Scotty. And he literally said... There's a culture around snowboarding and it isn't about latest, greatest, newest all the time mm -hmm. and they're not all looking to wear like the, the garment that's going to make them in the sleek, modern thing go faster, but there are elements of what they want. So they want more airtime, but they don't want to look like they want more airtime. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a really interesting balance. So we ended up having to build a skeletal structure that was 3D printed inside a jacket. We had accelerometers and gyros and a nine-axis motion sensor on each turbine, um, and that could read where he was in rotation and then either increase the spin from one turbine to the other so that you could give him more airtime while he was up there. <laughs> I mean, like I said, prototype. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. but I mean, to put that together in a month, I can't even imagine where I would start. <laughs> now, with the work that you do in sports, how do you see that translating into, let's say, street-style fashion? For me, it's all emotional. So you have to care so much about the people you're designing for. Mm -hmm. In one case, it might be Scotty James with a snowboarder. In another case, it might be the person walking down the street. 
you have to love them ridiculously and that is like an emotional process mm. when you design with emotions you then start thinking about design in a really new way so for me when it comes to street style it's like okay why would this person need this and and or want it I mean it has to have that design element fashion always has I think what's interesting about wearables at the moment is it like they're really looking at the need and mm. that's consumer electronics in general I would say so some of that sexiness is gone because mm. it's not like, I just want this. Mm, so um, you're saying they're looking at f- function rather than emotion. Yeah. I would say that, uh, you know, emotion is something that's missing from a lot of wearable technology design today. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are, like, I could name at least five companies that are really trying to establish themselves in that area. Emotion is such an interesting, like, thing to try and quantify. Let's put it in inverted commas because you can't, you can't always understand someone, especially something as like complex as empathy. But I believe that there's a range of different companies out there, including ourselves, that like our our main goal is to have empathy for not just the people we're designing for, but for the object itself. Because hmm. <laughs> then you you love the whole experience. So how do you have empathy for the jacket that you're wearing, uh, well, other than the fact that you d- you're wearing it? Well, it has empathy for me. Interesting. How? <laughs> well, because it's got an awareness of where I am in the world. Ah, that's right. Mm. So we're really literally bringing our clothes to life. I believe so. And you're excited about it. It doesn't yeah. freak you out. No. <laughs> I, mean, I think there's two elements. The The emissions on the body are really, really low. So you're already carrying around this like beast of emissions in your smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that whatever we're producing is like far, far lower than that mm-hmm. gives me a lot of comfort. Um, also, like knowing that these things evolve no matter what. So it's either me who's going to do it and who's going to love the people I'm designing for or it's going to be someone else. Mm-hmm. And I can't guarantee what they're going to build it for. Hmm. Um, but this stuff's already happening. It's, it's just a matter of when. So uh, Wearable Experiments has offices in New York and Australia. Mm-hmm. And you're from Australia. Yes. So I want to dig into you a little bit now here. You've been called the Elon Musk of fashion. Do you see yourself as playing an important role in shifting attitudes about design, particularly uh, when it comes to wearable tech? For sure. And I think it's so funny having this conversation before the keynote because I think mm-hmm. you'll see a little bit more into like the insights of how my design thinking works. Mm-hmm. And 100%, that's like a massive part about what we do. Mm-hmm. I'm My background is design education. Mm-hmm. I came from that area of like you, you think about a problem in a really different way when you're teaching someone how to solve it for themselves rather mm-hmm. than spoon feeding them. That's really interesting. And speaking of your design background, your mother was a designer and she funded a design institute with I think the story is a thousand dollars in her pocket, <laughs> so she's an entrepreneur and a designer. Yeah. Uh, so, so how did she affect you? How did she impact your life? Enormously. Yeah, I was actually just home for her sixtieth birthday. I think my mother gave me an insight into fashion that was about the like quality of work. She opened my eyes to honestly the the best of the best. I believe of like these students are going to be A level students because. And I sat there in markings until I was fifteen. And then at the same time, you know, she obviously worked really, really hard. There's always pros and cons when someone works really hard when you're a young child, but it, it all worked out in the end. Mm. She's like my best friend. Wow, that's lovely. Mm. So, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were younger? Because to say I wanted to be a, a garment engineer, that <laughs> didn't even exist. Wearable technology wasn't even a, a buzzword like it is now. What, what did you have aspirations of being? Well, I kind of rebelled, actually. Uh, rebelled from like the traditional design career, I mm-hmm. suppose, that was laid out to me. I firstly, in about 15, I decided I wanted to be a doctor. I think mostly because I really enjoyed Latin. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, yeah, like this is so interesting. And then from that, 
I actually looked into being a journalist for a hot second. Oh, yeah. Because um, I thought, oh, that way you, you get to be an expert in so many different fields. But then after about a year, I went to Sydney University to start with. And after a year of university, my mother took me away to Italy for Christmas. And I fell in love with this one city. And she said, well, if you come and study with me, I'll send you here to do your master's. And I was like, okay, done. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as much as, like, yes, it sounds like that was really easy, I still have to go through everything, the interview process, and you have to present a portfolio and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so I switched over to a design degree. And I think, obviously, I didn't really know that wearable technology was a thing, but I'd already been interested in, like, new ways of engineering clothing so mm-hmm. I added like I added lentils to like some of my seams to give them weight and then like change the color and it was <laughs> I mean I was a little bit weird but like there was always all clothing you can cook eventually exactly <laughs> like it was already this thing that I was like I just don't want it to be the same it doesn't need to be the same as everything else um, and then I did my master's in Italy which was the best year of my life I um, came home and worked for the business for mum's business and I was teaching and styling and running alumni relations so I was doing a lot between the industry and how then they could communicate with the students and that to me was really fun so I was setting up like philanthropic ventures for the school and a range of different opportunities for the students Mm -hmm. and that's when I just started like ticking I was like okay first there's 3d printing and this is the future of manufacturing and then there's oh then there's hardware and then there's software and so I was looking at different gaming solutions for designers and and I think eventually I just sort of started combining all three putting Um, all the pieces together you mentioned earlier and I want to go back to it that designer thinks about solving problems differently Mm. so how do you think about designing clothing differently than an engineer let's say so I am I've been teaching a couple of workshops actually I taught one at Stanford this year and it was for me, it was really interesting to deconstruct my own process. So I start with an area of the body mm-hmm. and I ask like people to think about their favourite area of the body just because I think it's really natural to think that way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, while that's going on, I talk about some of the latest technology. So a bunch of sensors that are out there. Haptics are obviously something I sp- we specialise in. Graphene, and sound, smell, like all the five senses and how we design for those the actual senses that go around those senses. <laughs> so once once we sort of got to that level and they've decided the area, I asked them to physically mould the area of the body with some silicon putty. And I either have like a range of different prototyping tech on the table or it's imaginary and it's like, okay, what would you do if, you know, there was no limits? Which I actually think is a better process because otherwise you're too often thinking about the limitations of technology mm-hmm. rather than why this thing should be built. So then when you've got the shape designed, I like I get you to lay it out again and sometimes you like cut pieces off and you add bits and make the design beautiful because it kind of has to be. And then I think about, I ask them to think about softness, like how soft does it need to be on the body? Could it be in fabric form? Can this drape, does it like fall correctly? And then if it, let's say it is something that can go around your neck, but isn't a necklace, is something entirely different. I ask them to sort of describe it to me, but sell it to me. What is this? Pitch it. Exactly. Uh If I'm the person that you're selling it to and I'm about to buy it or give you $2 million to start building it. I find that it's like an amazing experiment. Design is very gendered. People forget that, you know, a woman's wrist is much smaller and, Mm. um, you know, the way we touch our neck is actually really symbolic of how we feel. And, yeah, it it becomes this really interesting psychology around it as well. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I was actually wanting to ask, you're a woman, you're designing for males and females so much of the wearable tech that I've seen we have this sort of shrinking and pinking phenomenon so you make a you make a gadget and then you make it smaller and pink for women um Mm -hmm. what are we missing in that process 
Well, because Shrink It and Pink It doesn't work. Like, yeah. my favorite, was it? Was it Barbie? No, it wasn't Barbie. It was um, Lego. Mm-hmm. They released a Shrink It and Pink It version once, and it was such an abomination because <laughs> um, you just don't do that. Like, good design lasts a lifetime. Like, some of my favourite pieces are, like, from the 60s, and they're still, like, high, high quality And because it's a, about a style rather than a movement. And perhaps just... good design appeals to humans. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're just about uh, closing in on the time that I have with you here, but I wanted to ask, as someone who's working in both technology and fashion, what do you think technology has to learn from fashion and vice versa? I'll turn the question on its head. What do you think fashion has to learn from technology? So uh, two things. I think fashion has this really beautiful ability to renew itself every three months. And we see it with every season and a new style. And we've got to a point where it's adapted to a beautiful level. We don't want to push consumerism anymore. So there's got to be a way to update that. I think that fashion can learn from technology, the way that software updates itself. Hmm. So it's not just buy another phone, it's like just update the software. So perhaps like buy a subscription to my dress and then there's a different pattern that comes out every season. Or like maybe it's physically software that f- and software changes your dress. And I print it out at home on my 3D yep, printer. Exactly. Okay. And then vice versa, what I think technology can learn from fashion is having this sense of nostalgia and respect for it. Hmm. I don't think that going so fast uh, in one direction is necessarily the right way. Fashion has this beautiful, like, revolution nature. And, and almost like self re- uh, self-referential nature. Exactly. That's really, yeah, And I don't know that technology has nailed that yet. I, I can see it beginning. We're in the beginning of it now. Mm-hmm. There's a s- disrespect still that happens, whereas I think there needs to be more respect. For the past. Yeah. Uh, so, Billy, how can people connect with you? Oh, please, uh, follow us at Wearable X, and that's with a capital X. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm at Billy W House. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today, and I look forward to your keynote. Wonderful. Thanks. Thank you. That was my interview with Billy Whitehouse of Wearable Experiments. To see some of her work we discussed, including the Navigate jacket and the Fundawear underwear, visit the Electric Runway blog at www.electricrunway.com slash blog slash Billy Whitehouse, and that's B-I-L-L-I-E for Billy. That's it for this episode. Until next time, here's looking towards the future.